Welcome to the Confessions of a Loveaholic podcast. Join me, your host, Emmy Hernandez, on a journey where we help women heal and find soulmate love to help rewire their brain and nervous system so healthy love is on the radar and it feels like home instead of heartbreak. Whether you've found your soulmate or your journey is just beginning, we'll explore the energy healing practices like meditation, yoga, and have straight talk about toxic addictions. You deserve safe love. Hola, mi gente. Welcome to another episode of the Wine and Chisme podcast, a podcast created to amplify voices and share the stories of people from marginalized and communities of color doing remarkable things, all while sipping on a glass of wine. I'm your host, Jessica Yangis. This week, my guest is Ariana Bradford, author of Shame on You, Big Truths from a Bad Mom. Ariana is an Afro-Latina, mother of two who lives in the Portland, Oregon area, and the lead writer editor for the Nyan Project website. Ariana wants to help change how motherhood is looked at, how other mothers look at themselves, and for them to start remembering that they are still human. She's also a speaker and shares funny stories and truths to normalize talking about parenthood and kids and the struggles that come with both. Guys, when I say this book literally had me laughing out loud, I am telling you nothing but the truth. Whether you're a parent, aunt, uncle, or just someone who enjoys laughter, you'll definitely want to keep your ears on this episode. So grab your glass of wine and join us for the chisme. here with Ariana Bradford. I am so excited to have you here, Ariana. I, we have so, so much to talk about because you have a book coming out on, and by the time this comes out, your book will already have come out, but it's called, ah, Shame on You, Big Truths from a Bad Mom, right? It is. Yes, that's, that's what it is. Okay. But before we get into the achievement of how you grew up and your book and everything else, before we get into that, we have to get into the wine, which <laughs> I have, yes, I'm so happy you have your wine with you. So I'm actually drinking, have you heard of Erath? I haven't. It's a Oregon wine, and I know you live in Oregon, so it just, I do. I do. it just so happens. It wasn't like I chose it because of that, but it just happens to be a um, 2017 vintage Pinot Noir, and the taste, this is what the tasting notes say. Presenting with aromas of Marionberry jam, Bing cherry, plow. I have no idea what plow is, and a hint of wintergreen melding with savory meatiness. The juicy palate is packed full of fresh raspberry, huckleberry, and blackberry, punctuated by cherry candy and a hint of warm spice. The finish is easy, supple, and oh so sippable. Literally, that's what it says. <laughs> I see your face. <laughs> You're just like, yeah, I, I, I mean, it sounded good until we got to the meatiness of it, and then I was a little concerned. I was like, meaty. I don't know that I, I want like meaty wine. That's. I don't, <laughs> and the funny. I don't know how is, I feel about that. I don't even know how to describe it because I just tasted it. It's actually really good. It's a really good Pinot Noir. It's not too heavy. So when I think of meatiness, I think of like a heavy wine. Mm-hmm. 
but this isn't really a heavy wide. I mean, it's like medium for sure, like medium to full bodied, but not like really heavy. So I don't know, but it is really delicious and I would definitely get that one again. So awesome. Um, yeah, but it's really, it just, like I said, it just so happened that this is the wine that I picked up and then I was like, oh, so you are in the Portland area, right? I am. I am. So my sister actually lives out there. So I go, I go there. Okay. So next time I visit, I'll have to reach out to you. <laughs> yeah. You totally need to let me know. We'll go <laughs> so, out and we'll have more wine. I mean, there's so many wineries there. She's, she's about that too. So mm-hmm. um, like I said, I'm really excited to have you on here. We met through a Facebook group. Yes. And when I saw you say that you were looking, you know, to do stuff in regards to your book, I was like, I started looking you up on Instagram <laughs> Anybody, I'm like, yes, I want her on the podcast. <laughs> and it's super exciting because really the things that we're going to be talking about, um, obviously a large portion about the book and being a mom. And I'm not a mom. I am a Thea and I have lots of nieces and nephews, but I, it's totally different. And I did read that in your book. <laughs> it doesn't matter how many nieces and nephews you have. It was in there. It is true. So, you know, I read it because it wasn't even at the beginning. <laughs> no, it wasn't. It was somewhere in the middle. So, <laughs> so you actually did read pretty far. Okay. Okay. I see you. That's nice. But I saw in your book that you actually lived in Austin for several years. I did. Mm-hmm. I actually lived in Dallas for 15 years. Oh, nice. Okay. <laughs> but where are you originally from? That's always such a loaded question because I was born in New Jersey and I actually lived in the Northeast up until I was about four. And then we moved to Florida and I lived in Jacksonville, Florida for five years. But the place that I spent probably the most time in my life altogether would be um, Lakeland, Florida okay. in Polk County. And I stayed there for about 16 years. Where so, is that? Uh, it's directly in between the state. Nobody ever knows. I usually just say Central Florida because okay. anytime I say Lakeland, everybody's like, I don't know where the hell that is. Um, but it's directly in between Orlando and Tampa, like smack dab in the middle of the state. Gotcha. Okay. And the reason I ask is because I know when I always ask people like what their cultural background is. And you said mm-hmm. that you are multicultural, you're mm-hmm. black, you're Puerto Rican and Cuban. So mm-hmm. you're Latina for all intents and purposes. Mm-hmm. So now that you're saying you grew up in Florida, that's like, okay, that kind of gives me a little bit more, right? Right. So you're like, how was it growing up in Florida in that particular part of Florida? Because I know like living in South Florida is very different. Living in like Miami and stuff is very different than living in Jacksonville or Pensacola. It is. It is. Tell me about being essentially, you know, people I'm sure they see you and they see you as a black woman. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. How was that growing up in central Florida? So I grew up in a very white area. I was lucky in a lot of ways. And it's, it's funny because I have been talking with a lot of people who are like me who grew up in you know, we're people of color who grew up in very white areas. And our situation is so complex. I've been wanting to write about it, but it's still kind of stuck there. I'm not quite sure how to put it down on paper. But we had a very complex uh, upbringing in that I was never uh, ashamed of who I was. My parents would never have allowed that. You know, my dad is the the one who is, uh, he is first generation Puerto Rican and Cuban, and my mom is black. And they were both very, you know, 
we're going to make sure that you are proud of who you are. That being said, I was never really surrounded by anybody who encouraged that in me outside of my home, especially with everything that's going on right now. I realized that I think there was a survival instinct that kicked in with my brain when, you know, you're raised with a, a lot of people who were not like you, a lot of, a lot of white kids, you kind of try to do what is necessary to fit in and to be accepted in that group. And so there were a lot of things that I internalized and you read about this actually, cause you were telling me about the article where I talked about shaving my head. I, I brought this up, but there were a lot of things that I internalized in terms of uh, beauty standards, in terms of acceptable language, in terms of what racism was and wasn't. There were just a lot of things that I accepted that even at the time made me question and concerned me a little bit, but because I wanted to be accepted and because I didn't want to be ostracized and because it was what was normal in my area, I tended to just let happen. And so uh, my dad didn't really speak Spanish to us growing up. And I, I'm not entirely certain why. I've asked him before, I'm like, dad, you know, you're fluent. Why didn't you speak it to me? I would have loved to have known. And uh, the best he could give me was, you didn't seem interested. And I was like, I was four. Like, four-year-olds <laughs> aren't interested in anything. Like, I, I, I literally was uninterested in one thing to the next every two seconds. You could have done it anyway. Um, so I'm not entirely certain why that was. Um, so I'm not fluent. I'm, I, and sometimes I feel like I'm a, I'm a, bad, a bad Latina because I don't speak Spanish. I understand it pretty well, but I don't speak it. And... You know, so there was no real Spanish growing up, but there was always a closeness with that side of my family. I know, I know of a lot of cousins on my mom's side, but cousins on my dad's side, I'm still very close with a good number of them. We still talk, you know, so there's, there is a, still a connection to that part of me, but it was just not fostered very strongly by the society I grew up in. So being that your dad is Puerto Rican and Cuban and your mom is Black, there's a lot of colorism within the Latino community anyways. Mm -hmm. Did you see that within your family where, like, or between your dad's side and your family and your mom's side of the family where they, did they come together very easily or was it like two very separate sides of your family? So I didn't really see them talking to each other very often, mainly because, but I think it was more about geography than anything else. My mom's side of the family is from um, the Northeast. They're from Pennsylvania, New Jersey, New York. My dad's side is from New York, but it's like the Bronx and that's about it. So there wasn't really a lot of mixture. I will say the only story that I, <laughs> the only story that I have of one side of my, of my mom's family meeting my dad's family was when my, my abuelo, my, my dad's dad, met my grandmother, my maternal grandmother. And from what I understand, uh, they, the moment they laid eyes on each other, my grandfather looked at my grandmother and says, you're fat. And my grandmother just looked at him and says, and you're ugly. And that was the extent of their conversation. But I don't know that that was colorism or if it was just one of those things where they immediately looked at each other and were just like, I don't like you. And that was just the end of that. Um, so long answer to your short question. I, I don't know. I just don't think they were ever in a room enough because of geography for us to really be able to feel that out. So growing up, 
were you somebody who made friends easily? Because I know you said you wanted to, I guess the best word to use is assimilate within this mm-hmm. very white community, being mm-hmm. somebody who was not white. So was this something that you had to do in order to make friends easily? Or was it something that you just, you just naturally drew people to you? So I've always naturally made friends easily. And I think part of that reason is because of how often they moved. I moved a lot as a kid. And um, as a matter of fact, all the way up until my high school career where I was homeschooled all through high school, uh, I was never in a public school for longer than two years. And so because of that, it kind of forced me to be able to make friends and adapt really fast. And I was, I'm, oh, I've always been really good at it, and I, which is really funny to me because I am more of an introvert than an extrovert. So it's always been kind of funny that that works out. But uh, what I've found most for myself, what happened most with me is that anytime that someone felt that they were becoming close to me or that they were starting to like me, it was almost like they had to find a reason for that to be acceptable to them. Um, Because one of the biggest things I would hear is that because I was part Hispanic, that I was not truly black. Like I would hear that a lot. And And I wouldn't hear it from other Hispanic kids. I would hear it from white kids a lot. And I felt like that had to do a lot with the fact that um, Hispanic culture, for some reason, they, they try to say that that is very close or, or um, what's the word I'm looking for here, adjacent to, to white kids. And so they were like, well, if I can, you know, it was almost like a subconscious, like if I can say that you're a Hispanic, it's acceptable for me to be friends with you and to want to hang out with you and to, you know, to, to be able to want to be friends with you outside of school because saying that I was black would be uh, more unacceptable or, or weirder. And um, again, I don't even think it was conscious. Like, I don't really think that it was a thing that they were seriously thinking. I just think that because of the way that our, our society was or still is, that the only way that they could make it acceptable to come to know me was to remove that blackness and to make it so that I was something more acceptable to them. Was that so I dealt with that a aware, lot. Was that something you were aware, aware of at the time? Or you just look back and think, huh? When I hit about 13, I remember thinking, not that deeply into it, but I remember thinking that that was a very weird thing for someone to say. Because, you know, they were like, oh, so you're Hispanic. And I was like, yeah. And they said, okay, well, then you're not really Black then. And I was like, I I mean... The fact that people, and even today, <laughs> we all have to come to the grips that they are not mutually exclusive, right? Like, they're not at all. Come and look at how light complected I am. And, you know, it's just such a frustrating thing. We come that, in so different, so many different colors and sizes and shapes. It's just, it's ridiculous for us to try to put it into any sort. And, and you know, the black side of me too, like we come in so many different shades. It's It's just... I think it's kind of weird to be trying to put it in any sort of box, but that happened a lot. Yeah, that agree. And that's, that's so frustrating to hear. Like they tried to put you in that box to better digest who you were Mm -hmm. because I feel like in Florida, Oh, well being Latina, being Latina or Hispanic, however you identify because people identify themselves different ways. And who am I to judge how you identify yourself? (laughs) (laughs) 
it's like, oh, we're in Florida and this is what, like, this is kind of familiar to me. And mm -hmm. as soon as people hit things that aren't familiar to them, they want to back off and they don't know what to do with Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. It. So it's exactly like their way of digesting it. So you mm -hmm. said you were in, you were homeschooled for your four years of high school. How, first of all, two questions. How was okay. the homeschool experience and how has that, I know your daughter's three, right? Four now. Four yeah. now. And then mm -hmm. you have a son who I'm assuming is in school age. How has that helped or hindered like the homeschooling now? Well, <laughs> see, I didn't, I asked to be homeschooled. Um, because I was getting bullied a lot in middle school and I also was just finding that it was messing with my grades, which were very, very important to my parents. So by the end of seventh grade, my mother had already started homeschooling my little brother and I asked her, you know, she said, if you want to be homeschooled, you let me know. So at the end of seventh grade, I said, I want to be homeschooled. I'm done. Like, uh, you know, and, and for me, it worked out very well for me because I'm a very independent learner. Like I was one of those people, my mom would literally print out a list of the things that I need to get done that year. And she would give it to me at the start of the year and say, have this done by X day. And she would almost never need to check in on me after that, because I would pretty much go ahead and decide, you know, how much math I was going to do, how much Spanish, how much English, whatever I would, I would go ahead and I would do it with my kids. It's a little bit harder because my son is not an independent learner, a, because he is, you know, soon to be six and B, because he has uh, ADHD. And so if I am not there to watch him, he will literally get bored and leave. <laughs> just literally. He's out. You know, yeah, he'll, he'll just be like looking at the computer. And the next thing I know, I'll turn and he's not at the table anymore because he's just decided that whatever was going on is just not interesting enough to stay. And so then I have to go, you know, find him and I have to dig him out of wherever it is that he is, make him sit down. And then he hates me. And then we're yelling at each other. And that's pretty much, you know, like, honestly, I could add a whole chapter to my book about him and me going head to head over math because he he's good at math, but he hates it. And so, you know, I've had to sit there and like, it's very hard for me too, because I've always been one of those people who, when I'm good at something, I want to do it. I like doing it, which is in a way sort of egotistical, I suppose, because it's like, oh, if I'm, if I'm not good at it, then why even bother type thing? But if I'm good at it, I, I like to do it. My son is good at math, but he hates doing it. And so I can't fathom it. And so he and I get into it a lot because I'll be like, listen, like, it's 10 questions and you know the answer to each and every one of them. If you just sat down and did the 10 questions, we could be done. And it slowly devolves into us screaming at each other because I'm just like, I, I just want you to finish your math. Like I hate math and I would really like to be able to move on. I'm tired of talking about what three plus two is. And he's like, I don't want to do this. And you know, <laughs> then my husband comes out because he he's working in the office like, you know, right next to us. And he's like, it sounds like there's a lot of yelling out here. And I'm like, no shit. <laughs> I know, I know. So it's, it, at least at this point, it is not something that I think I would 
want to do unless it was absolutely necessary. Like I am saying that I'm keeping an eye on, on how things are going with the COVID situation. And if by fall, I'm not satisfied with how the numbers are being or, or going or fluctuating, then we probably will go back to homeschooling. And that's, um, I don't even know. I, it's just, I'm, I don't know. I'll keep an eye on you and offer to have wine for you. The time. I'll send, I'll send cases for you. I might need all the wine. I'm probably going to be the most drunk teacher he will ever have because that's the only way. And that's okay because that might be self-care for you. <laughs> Boom, drop another thing for you. That's my self-care. That is my self-care, getting drunk during math time. You got it. If mommy has three cases of wine and we have three more cases of wine, how much wine will mommy drink by the end of the day? Absolutely. <laughs> hey, you know what? I'm sure you're not the only parent that feels this way. And I think that's why your book is, like I said, it's so funny. I was telling you beforehand, it's so funny, literally. And there's so much more I want to talk about, but I really want, there's so much in your book that I really <laughs> want to get to as well. So it's like this might end up being a two-parter. Sorry, guys, it might end up being a two-parter <laughs> because it's just that good, right? Aw, thank you. Um, so let me kind of just digress a little bit. You said you decided you wanted to be homeschooled because you were bullied. I mm -hmm. understand the bullying situation. I was bullied, especially when I was in seventh grade. That was like the roughest year, I think. Yeah, ever. that's a bad year. Yeah. Um, what did you, what was your experience in regards to getting bullied? Like for me, it was because of my hair. I would oh. get golf fro often or because I was chunky and I was, I'm kind of like, I was like this, but at seventh grade, right? <laughs> Fair enough. Like, you're like this, but 13. Yeah. Like my hair that. was shorter. It didn't look as good. <laughs> you know, didn't know how to take care of it. I don't know how many brushes I broke in my hair. Oh, <laughs> uh, yeah. For me, it was basically, I mean, I was weird. I was a weird kid. And I'm not saying that in like, a, I deserved it type way. I'm just saying that kids are kids can be cruel and kids are not great with Absolutely. things that they don't yeah and things are kids are just not great with things that they don't understand right like I was five foot nothing wore these giant glasses I like to write stories like more than it, any of the other kids in my class like I was the one always sitting there with a piece of paper just scribbling story ideas I was a weird kid and you know I was also one of those people who hadn't like I had come, I, I was aware of who I was, but I hadn't really come into my own yet. Like I hadn't figured out the kinds of people I wanted to become friends with. I hadn't really figured out how to uh, gravitate towards those people. It was really in middle school. I was very much about whoever would have me were my friends, friends, you know, air quotes here. And I was, oh, and, and, you know, just like cursory stuff. I was made fun of for the fact that I have dark hair on my arms and it was super obvious. Specifically, I remember being on a bus and having uh, a bunch of kids start calling me beast, which was great, by the way, for my self-esteem. Oh. Um, I mean, I recovered. You're fine. a beast. What? I was a fro. We yeah. Beast and the fro. Fro and the beast. Yeah. No, I mean, you know, the thing that helped me, honestly, was my mom. My mom was one of those people she was not a fan of just saying they're wrong she was a real fan of trying to make me realize on my own that they were wrong 
and she would talk to me about it, but she would always try to push me first to realize that the things that they said were incorrect. Like if someone called me stupid, she'd be like, are you stupid? And I'd sit there and I'd think about it and I'd be like, well, no. And she'd say, okay, well, if you're not stupid, then them calling you stupid doesn't make you stupid. And in the moment, I wasn't really quite understanding why it helped. But as I got older, by the time I had homeschooled, I, I honestly do think that that was what made me introspective enough to say, I think I need to get out of here because I knew that I was better than the grades that I was getting. Actually, I remember specifically that the final straw was that I cursed out a girl who had said that she was my friend like all year. And then suddenly just one day she decided to start being really weirdly cruel to me. And I couldn't quite understand why. So I cursed her out in the middle of class and I got sent to the principal's office. And I remember sitting there in the principal's office at 13 thinking to myself, this is not who I am. This, this is not me. I am not a kid that gets sent to the principal's office. I'm not a C&D student. I'm, you know, I'm, I'm not the kind of person that goes to school angry every day. Like, I, I, this just isn't me. And I don't think that that introspection would have been available without my mom forcing me to think about who I was and why I did the things I did as often as she did growing up. So. I mean, great for her to be able to do that. I used to call my mom at lunchtime sometimes at seventh grade in seventh grade, crying, please come pick me up. Oh. Like I it was it was that was but you're so right. Kids can be cruel and fickle, right? Mm-hmm. Like one day they're your friend and the next day like say they don't like you. Yeah, yep. it's it's so crazy. So the fact that how do you think, I mean, the, the fact that you were introspective enough, especially at that young age to say like, I need to be pulled out of here. Mm-hmm. I don't know if my mom would have, would have done that had I said that. And maybe there was probably times where I did think that. And I don't know mm-hmm. if I ever verbalized it to my mom or not, but I don't think she would have said, okay. She would have just been like, sorry, Miha, you got to go to school. <laughs> like- I mean, it changes from person to person, to be fair. My mother, I have always been vocal about the fact that I was very lucky in a lot of ways and I have never been ashamed of that I don't think that we should ever be ashamed of how we, we are lucky or, or how we're blessed I think too many people try to make us feel like if you had things that made your life somewhat easier that you should feel embarrassed about that kind of thing and I, I don't necessarily believe that when it's it's things like you know being lucky enough to homeschool things like that I think you should be okay with that particularly when you're in a when you come from community and like especially actually no not even just communities of color because I've especially if you come from black and brown communities Mm -hmm. you're almost shamed if you come if you do yes absolutely I like that you added that yeah because I was even thinking in the back of my head I was like I don't want people thinking that I'm talking about white because I do think that I don't necessarily think that guilt should be connected to white privilege, but I do think that there is, you know, a much deeper, deeper conversation that needs to be had with that. But you are correct. When it comes from a black or brown community, there is an attitude of like, you didn't suffer enough. And, you know, I I still remember being in college and getting into a very heated argument with a guy in my poetry class over that. Because he tried to say that, you know, because I grew up in the suburbs, I didn't know what it was like to be black. And I was like, you can't say that (laughs) like just because I didn't grow up a certain way or I didn't struggle does this tan does not rub off it's it's you know it was permanent I I know what it's like so that that definitely is something I think that that played into that but yeah I I do think that I'm proud of the fact that I I got a chance to be homeschooled I'm happy for it because it made me better 
But does that mean that I think it's for everybody? Absolutely not. Um, and I was very lucky in that my mom was a stay-at-home mom for years, so she could do that. There's no guarantee that even my own kids will have that benefit. Um, and there are a lot of people that would say that they don't get to have that benefit. And I think that there is something to be said, too, for going to public school, because I know that this is going to sound <laughs> super superficial, but I kind of wish I'd had a prom. I never got to have a prom. And I, I've always been kind of jealous of people who got to have one, because yeah. I didn't. So, No, I don't think that sounds superficial at all. It's almost, there's something, God, what's the word I want to use? I don't want to say ethereal, but there's just something like a rite of passage, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. Having a prom, just like with this, this graduates of 2020, it's having a real graduation is a rite of passage if you're able it to, is. like, and so many didn't get to have that. And they were makeshift or they were this or that. And some people did, but just that fact that you like this normally really celebratory moment was, was taken away from you. So I don't say that's superficial at all. Thank you. (laughs) (laughs) Um, So where did you end up going to college after you went from homeschool to college and did you go away or did you stay home? Um, a little bit of both. I lived at home with my parents, but I was going to college in Tampa. So I would commute 45 minutes, but I was almost never home because I was either at school or I was at work because I also worked two jobs during college. But I went to the University of South Florida in Tampa. Great school. Absolutely loved it. I still miss certain parts of it and a lot of the friends that I made while I was there. Majored in English, which, (laughs) which, uh, I, I don't know. Sometimes I'm like, I really weird wish I had majored in like computer science or finance or something. I feel like English is serving you well. I mean, it's, it's doing okay now, but <laughs> there were plenty of times where like, I was like, I don't know that this was the right choice for me because <laughs> I majored in English because I love writing and it's just, that's also a degree that's just kind of, you tell people I majored in English. I'm like, that's nice. Are you going to be a teacher? Because Are you going to be a teacher? Yeah, exactly. I majored in English too. And that was the first thing we asked. So what are you going to do? Are you going to be a teacher? What do you want to yeah, do with yeah. that? Yeah. Yeah. I got asked that all the time. So you're going to teach? And I was like, no. <laughs> well, I know. I'm sure I, I stopped asking her because she did. And now it's, it's basically like, dude, take a break and figure out what you want. It's okay. Like you can do that right now. So right. we've gone to like, are you going to be a teacher too? Just, it's okay if you take a break. You don't need to figure out. <laughs> you You'll result. get there. It's okay. You'll yeah. get there. Yeah. <laughs> now, does that, did you meet your husband in college or did you meet him post college? Did you meet him once you moved to Austin? <laughs> so I was actually uh, engaged at the age of 18 to a different gentleman. Ooh, girl. That's and, I, and I married him at 22. Uh, so I was actually engaged in college to him. We got married at 22. He was in the military, never got his bachelor's. So I started thinking I wanted to get my master's. We both applied to the university of Texas at Austin. He got in for his bachelor's. I did not get in for my master's, but I agreed to move with him to Austin so he could get his bachelor's. While we were in Austin, uh, I grew, he didn't is probably the simplest way to put it. We divorced, and about seven months later was when I met my current husband and father of my children. So, so your current husband, your your husband, that's I'm not going to say current, your husband. Your husband for right now, no, yes. (laughs) Is 
is a white is white and i like how yes. one of the things you said he's like really white i'm like oh, he's super white yeah. oh yeah he's super white he's jumbo white absolutely <laughs> jumbo white. And he That's knows hilarious. is he from texas no he's actually from portland or from well, okay so yeah he really is really white <laughs> oh he's super white he's so white and he'll admit it himself he is like extra 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 white grew up on a farm from, oh, from wow. Oregon. Oh, yeah. yeah. Did being a black woman and multicultural, did that, how did that affect your relationships growing up, your relationships with the opposite sex? Did, were you pulled one way or the other? Did you date across the spectrum? Like, did you feel a particular way when you did like, like, oh, I need to do this or do that? Well, I was surrounded by white guys. So that's pretty much all I dated. I did have crushes on guys that were not white, but pretty much all of them were during, were like away from home, like during camp or, you know, visiting a friend in another city. So it was never actually possible. So all of the guys that I ever dated were white. Um, and actually the, my ex-husband and my first boyfriend were racist, which you would think wouldn't make any sense, but it totally does. How? Wait, yeah. I mean, you see me shaking my head, like yeah. in disbelief. How does that happen? I don't, I'm not sure I can compute that. <laughs> so I honestly think, and this, this is my personal theory here, so I'm not saying that I'm proving anything, but I feel like when you have a racist person dating a person of color, there are a couple of things going on. And, and again, I feel like this is subconsciously and systemically. For one, I assume that there is a, they are attempting to prove something to themselves and to others. They're attempting to prove, see, I'm not racist because I am with this girl of color. My first boyfriend was like that. His mom was racist and actually told him once she got super drunk one night and told him that she, after she found out he was dating me, she was going to take him out of her will. And I think he was trying to prove to himself that he was not like his mother. And so we were together and, and, you know, the thing was, there were a lot of things going on there. A lot of things that were said, like, for example, you know, he would make comments about how he was okay with going out with me because I wasn't like the stereotypical black girls, you know, that the, were like louder or, you know, quote unquote ghetto, things like that. So, you know, things that were very clear that he was, he was, there was all this subtext about I'm with you because you, and I, I hate this term, but it's the best term I can think of right now because you act white. But if you were to act in any way that reminded me that you were black, I would not be with you. But even he didn't see it. And of course, because I had been raised, you know, around people like that, I didn't hear that or see that either. And so, you know, it was very, and there are still people who will tell me, well, if he dated you, he couldn't have possibly been racist. And it's like, I was there. <laughs> I heard the things he said. Yes, he could. And he was. So, you know, there was that. And then with my ex-husband, with him, it was, it was much more, I don't want to say the word hidden. It was much more subtle. It was much more subtle. It was, it was stuff that, like, for example, you know, he had been raised in a family that really liked wearing stuff with the Confederate flag on it. And that I actually said something to him about. I was like, I really don't like that you're wearing stuff with the Confederate flag on it. We had to have a long conversation about it. And 
he stopped wearing it for me, but it was still one of those things that you could tell he felt he should be able to argue was heritage. Speaking of that, did you realize, like, I, I don't know if you had seen the, the meme that gay marriage has now been legal longer than the Confederacy was around? <laughs> no, but that's hilarious. And I was like, mm, whatever, like... <laughs> That's not, don't tell me this, your heritage, please. Right, no, it, it, the whole thing, you know, it was just, it's, it's just, it's possible. It really is. And even, like, my husband now is not racist in any shape where, I mean, I shouldn't say he's not racist in any shape where form, because one thing I've realized is that every white person has learned certain racist behaviors from the system. Like, and, and they'll always get mad when you say all white people are racist because they're thinking you're saying all white people believe that, you know, black people should be segregated and, and shot. And that's not what they mean. When they say all white people are racist, they're saying all white people have been taught a certain thing by the system that is racist. And this is true for everybody, including my husband. I'm glad but you it late that way because it's, like you said, it's true because there's so much history behind. I mean, hello, we don't even learn the history, true black no, history. We true don't. Mexican history, true we black don't. any of this history. We have to seek it out for ourselves. Yeah, we don't. It's, it's in, we're indoctrinated into a certain mindset and that mindset is very white centric. And people can get very upset when you say things like that, but it is true. Our history is white centric. The way that we treat uh, discussion of our history, holidays, we treat all of those things very, very white centrically, if that's a word. I don't know. But either way, my, it you is know, now. <laughs> yeah, it is now. I've said it, therefore, it's a word. Um, <laughs> but, you know, with, with my husband, he's, he at least is open to learning and understanding. And he is very aware of the fact that my experience is different from his. And does that make it hard sometimes? Absolutely. Because sometimes when I'm talking to him about the way that I feel about things, I can tell that he's sympathizing that he can't empathize because he is a white, and, and even more so, he's a white male, right? Like he's not even a white female, he's a white man. So of everybody in this country, his rights are probably the most protected. So he tries to understand, but he can't. Uh, at least not from experience, but at least he tries. And that to me is probably one of the biggest mistakes that a lot of people make is they feel that it just even trying is too hard. So why even bother? And I think that, you know, my, at least my particular take on it, obviously I'm not speaking for every person of color, but I feel like if I can tell you're trying, I am way more willing to try to help you through it and to be tolerant than if you are just coming right out the gate like, ah, oh, this isn't real because it's easier to say it's not real than it is to try. So, yeah. Ooh, there's so much to unpack there, but you are the, the lead writer, editor, podcast host for, mm -hmm. is, do you pronounce it Nyam Project? The I Nyam? do, the Nyam Project, yep. All yep. right, which stands for not <laughs> your average that. mom. I, uh, yeah. Which... Like I said, I was, I kind of jump in the rabbit hole sometimes when I'm looking at people I'm interviewing and with you, I was like, for sure, like way down in the rabbit hole where I had to stop myself because <laughs> I was like, I'm not going to have time to write any questions because I just <laughs> So there's two things like you, I, like I told you prior to us actually recording, I had listened to your podcast about being a black mom mm -hmm. and it was very raw. It was just no music, no anything. It was just truly you. Now, I understand mm -hmm. the music and stuff was because you're having difficulties with the podcast. 
swear to God. Even though the music was on purpose. The music I left out on purpose. But the Good. new microphone, yeah, the new microphone was because of... <laughs> Yeah, some sound issues. But it was, but it did, it did sound good, and it was very, very raw. And you're describing. So, how did you? How when you and your husband started having kids, and Mm -hmm. knowing the things that you knew about growing up as a black and bicultural woman, Mm -hmm. I like were those things that you guys even talked about or touched on before having kids? Um, No, it wasn't. I think first off, it was a surprise. My son. I was pregnant with my son six weeks into a relationship. So it was just kind of one of those things where I was like, oh, guess what? Pregnant. But I don't know. It, it really wasn't. It, it's strange to say, but I think having kids kind of pulled a lot of the wool off of my eyes. I think that I had spent so much time growing up in like ensconced in white America that I really didn't have a lot of those worries forefront. I, you know, I was excited to have children. I remember the first concerned thought I remember having was actually about my daughter, not my son. And that was because she was brown with curly hair. And it's like, for some reason, that started my, my thought cycle of brown kids with curly hair tend to have difficult times in this country. And that was when I started feeling like my mind was kind of clearing of a lot of the fog and I was starting to remember certain things and I was like I don't want her to go through any of this and you know I I never would say that I regret bringing them into this world I don't you know they're both little rays of sunshine when they want to be but at the same time I feel like you know it's just it's a very weird phenomenon for me that I didn't think about any of that like none of that was ever a concern to me until they were already here which was odd I get the curly hair reference because obviously I told you what my, but I spent so much time and I know like in your blog post, you were talking about when you decided to shave your head, mm-hmm. and talking about going to the salon all the time, getting your hair straight and girl, I tried to straighten my hair and it never worked. <laughs> I tried, I tried and it would work for like maybe a week or two and I'd be like, oh, I'm so cool with the straight hair because that's what was always right? That was always what was pushed. That's what you I'm got a child for. of the 80s. Like, yeah. I grew up in the 80s, and that's really what it was. It was like, oh, it wasn't about the the curly hair, and the times you saw the froze, they were like, and I have pictures of my uncles, like, legit with the big giant froze and everything. Yes. In the 70s. But it was, yeah, I mean, I was, I hated my hair, and now we have true products for to help your curly hair. And we have this whole, not this whole support system and all of these things of showing like people rocking their curly hair and everything. And I think once I hit, I don't know, once I, I, so maybe in high school, I finally was just like, fine. I'm, I liked my hair, but I still had issues with my hair. Mm-hmm. Still had all of this stuff. So I get why you wouldn't want your daughter to go through a lot of those things because it, plays with your head even at that young of an age if you it really does older, you're not right what you have is not beautiful exactly and I don't know if you ever watched um the millionaire matchmaker with Patty mm-hmm. Stanger this is no she used to tell any girl that had curly hair to straighten the hair because the guy wasn't gonna like her wow 
Yeah. Damn. I need you to straighten your hair. Guy's not going to be attracted to you with cur wild curly hair. Your curls are beautiful, but he's not going to be attracted to you. Ooh. And this was like within the last 10 years. I, I, I do remember when the show was out. I never watched it. So that was, that was pretty recent. Damn. Okay. Yeah. I know. I mean, I, I mean, California just recently passed a law that said that naturally curly hair isn't considered unprofessional. So I guess I shouldn't be that shocked. Isn't that crazy? And not even, I think there's only a handful of states that have actually passed the Crown Act, right? Mm -hmm. Natural hair, you cannot be punished for natural hair, whether that is having your hair in braids, having locks, having um, anything like that, you you can't be punished for that. Which exactly. So I like how you you were saying, and I, I know I'm kind of going back and forth, but like I said, there's just so much kind of going back to the podcast and you're talking about things and you were saying how your life, you're, that you're not politics. You might be political, but your life isn't political. Exactly. And I loved that so much because I know so many in the black and brown community feels that right because mm -hmm. on the you know it's when you have something like what's happening what happened with Vanessa Guillen she was yeah. missing for how many days and they find it girl I can't like it's just like are you freaking kidding me and then you're right like kids in you know kids in cages don't say they're detention centers they're fucking cages they're kids in cages and then exactly that are having like Elijah Cummings this poor not Elijah Cummings, I'm thinking of the senator. Um, yeah, Elijah McClain. <laughs> Elijah McClain, this poor, like, 19-year-old sweet, the things that he's saying. And, girl, every time I even think of that, and I'm sure you see my eyes right now, or read it, I can't, because mm -hmm. I just, I burst into tears because we're constantly doing this. Like, the system is constantly doing this to our black and brown brothers and sisters. Absolutely. And they've made our lives political. Yeah. Well, they turned our lives into politics. And I've, I've said this a few times. So if people have been listening to episodes with me and they hear this again, sorry, but I, I really do feel like the reason why our lives have become politics is because we have been taught, what are the two things you never talk to people about? Religion and politics. Politics is something you don't talk about. So if you wrap, wrap racism into politics, we never talk about racism because you don't talk about politics. Mm -hmm. And that ends. That needs to end. It is not politics. It is a human rights, civil rights issue. No matter what side of the bar you're on, whether you're conservative or whether you're a liberal, we should all be on the agreeing side together that racism is not acceptable. And we should all be accepting the fact that there is racism still there. Now, the problem being that you still have people out there who are so uncomfortable with the concept that they will still say, oh, well, the liberals are the ones who are trying to make it sound like it's that bad out there. Oh, well, you know, it, it, it's, it's so leftist for people to be talking about how black lives matter, black lives are fine, that you still hear people trying to politicize it, um, which is a problem. But... I do feel that we are starting to turn a corner and that we are starting to fight more often to say, listen, this isn't a partisan issue. Racism is racism and support against it is, it, it has to come from all sides. Absolutely. Um, but it's just, you know, it's something that we're still trying to work 
towards, which is pathetic because we really shouldn't still be working towards it, but here we are. I know. know. It's so crazy, the things. And then when people bring in like Martin Luther King Jr. And you're like, okay, if he was doing now what he was doing then, you wouldn't be like, you wouldn't like him. You would hate him. Yeah, so it's been this whole frustration and everything. And there's, there, like I said, there's so much more that we could get into on that. But I really want to talk about your book. Okay. <laughs> so we're going to shift to that because, like I said, that's, I mean, it is so amazing. And it is, I can't wait. Like, I feel so honored because it hasn't come out yet as of this interview. By the time this comes out, it will have been released and the name again is Shame on You, Big Truths from a Bad Mom. So when did, when did you decide you wanted to start this, this blog and this podcast? What was the point that made you think, I have something to say and I don't hear this and I'm going to like put it out there? So the blog itself started in 2016, right after my daughter was born, about a month after. Um, I had just come to the realization that a lot of my mom friends and me included, we constantly were operating under this feeling of judgment and guilt. And we were constantly afraid to do certain things because we were afraid that, you know, we were being judged or or looked at unfairly. And I felt like that came from us being afraid to, um, tell our stories so initially it started out that my main audience was people who were not parents uh trying to explain to them what being parents what what it was like to be a parent and also trying to get them more interested in us as people and it has slowly evolved into me trying to talk to other parents because i feel like we have a real internal issue uh where we're judging each other a lot and I just didn't like it very much I kind of feel like you know people aren't gonna we're not unless we have a united front and we're willing to tell people like listen the person who we are outside of being a parent matters just as much as the parent that you see on the outside we're we're never going to get anywhere because as long as we're continuing to judge one another and and I don't want to say like judge internally because judging internally is natural. I mean, when we are like giving each other dirty looks and telling each other what a good parent does instead of understanding that that changes from person to person, we are... Well, that changes from even kid to kid. Exactly. Exactly. See, you get this and I get this, (laughs) but there are a lot of people who don't seem to get this. And so... You know, I, I, it's turned into me, it, it's become like a, like a 33.33, where like one third of it is me joking about the weird shit that kids do, because they all do weird stuff. Um, and then one third is me talking to parents about, hey, you need to be taking care of yourself. You need to be supporting yourself because you know, you're going to have a support system, but the number one person in charge of your support is you. And then the other third is now more often than it used to be, is talking about race and talking about race relations and kind of how that applies to me and parenting. So it's been going now for four years. Yeah, that's as old as my daughter is because she kind of was the catalyst. So How much did the movie Bad Moms resonate with you? 
You know, okay, so people are going to think I'm weird, but I actually did not like that movie at all. And the reason I didn't was not because of anything they showed. I actually thought that that was kind of great. They were showing mom's drink or whatever. But my problem is they showed these women enjoying their lives kind of as a joke more than anything else. It was like, haha, look at these moms getting crunk and going crazy and drinking and, you know, making out at the PTA meeting. And it's like, okay, yeah, like they, they were very funny, but I, I, it bothered me because I feel like the only time that it's okay to show parents doing stuff for themselves in film and in media tends to be if it's a joke, if it's funny. And I was kind of like, okay, but, and then, and then like around the end, I don't know if you saw it, but around the end, they kind of were showing that like the mom making out with this dad of a classmate, she like, she was being irresponsible or something. And I was like, okay, first off, he's hot. So why? Yeah. Like, I don't understand why that's a problem. <laughs> Signing off, you know, it was, it was Jay Hernandez. Of, yes, right, right. Yes, like I yes. said, that and I was like, um, I would be all on I, that too. <laughs> yeah, I was like, I don't quite get why this is a pro this is the problem because I feel like anybody would have done that. But okay, anyway, um, but I digress. My point being that they kind of made it as there was still this underlying like, yeah, but then you know she took it too far and she still needs to be focusing on her on her children. Uh, more and it was kind of like yes but you know so it, it was it was an okay movie it was funny but it bugged it's me just because yeah because it kind of bugged me just because I felt like it was still running with a certain narrative that a lot of people buy when they're watching parents so yeah. I love how you really truly get into these stories about your kids and what has what drives you crazy so I actually speaking of that I asked some of the some of the my followers what drives them crazy about their kids so yeah. I want to read you some because I feel like you're going to enjoy this and this this is so many of the things that your book addresses so I asked people um like what drives you crazy about your kids and one person one person said 1,000 questions a day Right? Yes, absolutely. <laughs> oh my God, yes, yes. Another yes. one said, when you tell them not to do something and they still do it and they end up getting hurt. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, that, that's a daily occurrence here, so. And I've yeah. done that with my nephews I'm, or my nieces and nephews. I'm like, ah, you're gonna get hurt, you're gonna get hurt. Ah! <laughs> <laughs> and I don't know, I, I don't know if it's just like a, like a, being, brought up by parents of color but when I did that my parents were always like didn't I tell you not to do that why did I tell you not to do that see now you see and I am the exact same way if I'm like don't do that don't do that and they get hurt I'm like what did I just tell you no like, my mom just... used to do with us which I do with my, <laughs> even my friends kids and my nieces and nephews oh you hurt yourself oh you need to go to the hospital do they need to cut off your leg <laughs> oh, go? Okay, you're fine. Go. Okay. Like, Run it off. It's yeah, fine. you're fine. You're fine. Uh, <laughs> they complain about everything all the time. Yes, they do. This is my friend who's, she's like, from an auntie who is a second mom, ordering new stuff off the menu they won't enjoy. Like, they're like, no, I want it. I want it. And then they're like, this is so gross. All the time. Yeah. And they say, I'm bored. I'm bored. I'm bored. I'm bored. But, but there is a, a trick to that. See, what Please. you do is 
when they say that they're bored, you say, oh, that's cool. Okay. Well, this room needs to be clean. So why Girl, don't you that go is the Latina in you. <laughs> that is the Latina in you. I'm going to tell but you it, that right now. But it works. It works because they immediately walk away and you don't see them for hours. Suddenly they find something to do. The Latino kid <laughs> knows. Like, you don't ever say that you're bored. Never. Because there's always something that needs to be cleaned. <laughs> I stopped telling my mom that a long time ago because so, I was like, because I was like, every time I tell my mom I'm bored, <laughs> she says, girl, like, vacuum your room. No. Yeah. Is your room clean? That was my, my mom's first thing. Is mm -hmm. your room clean? Uh, then go clean it. Like that was always, now my <laughs> stuff is always clean now, but as a teenager, it wasn't always, right? It was right. Like, cooler and it wasn't. So that was like her first thing. Another one was like, they, they never listen. One mm -hmm. is the sass and being woken up in the middle of the night for no reason. Yeah, that gets old. When you're in the car and trying to drive and listen to your jam and they won't shut the fuck up. <laughs> <laughs> um, Accurate. And then the, when they say ma, mama, mommy, mom, mama, like and keep repeating it over and over. Oh my God. All again. day. This is my wife all day. You just had them write down parts of my life. I see how it is. Yes. I was like, oh my gosh. So I was, well, and I was inspired to ask these questions based on the book. Because oh. I was reading it and I was laughing and I'm like, I want to hear what people can't stand about their kids. Because <laughs> they're stuck. Yeah, well, I mean, I think I love what you say in regards to it's oh, you love your kids unconditionally, but you don't always you don't always like them, and that's okay. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, and and you know, you've seen it. I say this like, if they were grown ups, we wouldn't like half the stuff they do. We we wouldn't we wouldn't like it. Like you know, my son was sitting on my husband's lap earlier, and just I don't know where decided it would be great to just fart in my husband's lap. <laughs> thought it was hilarious and because he's almost six that does not make it any less annoying like I it's still an irritating thing and like you know you, you take that into the bigger things right the getting screamed at the being you know no I don't want this the days where they throw things the days where they're just angry at you and, and yelling for no reason you're never gonna like that we're just we're, there is no sane part of a person's brain that is going to be like, this is great. This, this is outstanding. I want this to keep happening. Like, I, <laughs> please keep screaming at me and telling me that you want bread. And then when I give you bread, throw it on the floor. Please keep or doing blue it. Plate. I love it. Or a blue plate. Yeah, a blue plate. <laughs> See, like, you're not going to, nobody likes that. And that's normal to not like that. We're not supposed to like that. And you can actually have that feeling turn into you know, I kind of don't like you right now. Like, I, I don't like you right now. And that's okay, too. That does not mean you don't love your kids. And I try to remember that the street runs both ways. My son one day got really mad at me, and he said, I don't like you. And my husband started to say, don't talk to your mother like that. And I said, no, 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 no. That's okay. He does not like me right now. He is being honest. And, I, and then, you know, I did come back, and I was like, because to be honest, I also don't like him right now. So it's, it's totally <laughs> fair. But at least, you know, it, it's going to happen. And I feel like it's better to be honest about, like, I'm not saying that you have to be like, I don't like your little face right now. Like, you don't have to say that. But I think at least being honest with yourself 
and allowing yourself to realize, okay, I may not like this kid right now, but give it five minutes and I'm going to be back to being obsessed with him again very soon. Because they have that black voodoo magic you said that makes you forget (laughs) all of it. It's black voodoo magic. It's so, it's just, I don't even know what it is, man. Like, my kids have had days where by the end of the day, I'm just like, take them away from me. And then I will catch myself watching videos and looking at pictures of them on my phone and being like, oh, isn't this so cute when she was wearing this bathing suit? Oh my God, look at him dancing in this little tutu. Like, like I didn't just see their faces and get sick of it that day. Like, it, it's going to be fine if you don't like them. For, and even if you don't like them for like a week, like maybe they're just giving you a really shit week and you're just like, I have not liked this child since Monday that's okay that's okay and it's going to reconcile itself and it's going to get better it's their family they may be little they may have you know come from you or or maybe not you know if you're adoptive or step parent but they may be family but that's part of what comes with family is not nobody liking them knows sometimes. how to push your button like like, like families that's exactly and, and, and kids are good at pushing buttons kids are amazing and my uh my one of my uh favorite authors and she's a really cool person and she says that kids are expert button pushers and they are they can always see like oh it annoys you when I do this it doesn't it okay well I'm just gonna keep doing it <laughs> until you just like me. when that just like when something's <laughs> you laugh at something once they gotta exactly. do it over over and over <laughs> and over and you're just they like, like getting your re- they like getting a reaction and you're just sitting there like I shouldn't like oh my god when I laugh at something that my son says I'm like oh I'm in for it now because for like the next 30 minutes, I'm just going to keep hearing it over and over and over again. And that's, that's just life. And I just think that it's really unhealthy for us as people to be taught that we're supposed to deny all of the negatives that might come, all the negative emotions that might come with being a parent because, I don't know, because they're ours, which is really weird. So yeah, no, I'm all for being honest about the fact that you just don't like your kids sometimes. But at the end, you know, once we're back to, to normal and we're back to our baseline, I've hugged him and I've said, look, I will always love you. I will always love you to the end of the earth and back. I will do anything for you. All I'm just going to, but I don't like it when you ask. And my hope is that by saying those things, he's going to understand even when he gets older, when he becomes a parent, when and if, that if he has a moment where he's like, I do not like my kid, he's not beating himself up like I was. Because it took me forever to realize that this was normal. And it was only because I started speaking with enough people that I realized that it was normal and no one felt comfortable saying it. Why do you think that there's like, first of all, there's this, like you said at the beginning, there's this judgment amongst, especially amongst other moms in regards to judging how another mom parents And then we're so hard. Why do you think people are so afraid? Because that is one theme that I found across your book is like, look, this is normal. Like Mm -hmm. you're not always going to like your kid. Your body is going to change. You may not Mm -hmm. like, if you don't want sex right now, it's okay. And if you do, that's okay too. Like Mm -hmm. everybody has, it's like everything you're just trying to, to normalize because nothing is normal. No, nothing is I, I'm not entirely certain why, but just from the work that I've done with different moms and the conversations that I've had, I honestly feel that what it is, is 
there are so many overlaps between sexism and racism that it's crazy. And I really think that it has something to do with a lot of the sexism in our system. We had a 1950s housewife ordeal back in the day. Like if you read some of the articles they had for women back in the 1950s, it's insane. It's like, oh, oh you know, you want, you want to make sure that you're dressed up really nicely for your man when he comes home. And dinner's on the table. Sure dinner's on the table. The children must be quiet and well-coiffed and, and cleaned. And, you know, they had like all of these rules. And one of the things that you definitely weren't allowed to do back in the 1950s was talk about how you were feeling. You were not allowed to talk about how you were feeling. You were not allowed to do anything but be a loving happy housewife and mother. You were not allowed to dislike your children. You were supposed to publicly be June Cleaver, basically, from Leva to Beaver, right? And then as we grew out of that, we just never really grew out of that. Like there were still people who, who carried that with them and believed that that was what motherhood was. And I think that there's that. And then I think that there's also the idea that our parents were just these faceless automatons who existed to like wash spit from our faces and that was it without realizing that our parents were humans too and that even if they pretended to your face that they weren't they totally were behind closed doors <laughs> and that you I know, like how you have like a whole chapter on sex and sexuality yeah. and how your son walked in on you and how he keeps bragging <laughs> to everybody that daddy hits mom, slaps mommy on the butt when they're wrestling. <laughs> that was, that was so bad. And the thing that was horrible about it was it was during a school party and like a bunch of parents and the teacher was there and I had just so happened to not be there that day. And then my neighbor texts me and at first she was just like, oh, your son is so cute. He just said that, you know, his mommy is 21 and his daddy is 36. And I was like, that's right, son. You tell people mommy's 21. Thank you. And then suddenly she texts me again and she's like, so he just said that your husband slaps your butt when you're wrestling. And I was like, no. I was like, trust to you? And she goes, no. It was kind of to the whole room. And I was like, what? why I was like was the teacher there she's like yes and I was like what did she say she's like we just laughed and I'm like I bet you did I bet I bet you did and then because it's me and I don't know how to just like not tell the story I told the story to everybody because I was like I gotta get something out of this so I just told the story oh my like your stories are every I'm sure every parent can relate to them I love the poop blanket story uh, yeah yeah, that's, oh that's, been, that's one I will never let him forget. Holding on to that till prom. Yeah, wedding, <laughs> toast wedding, your wedding. Yes. <laughs> His wedding toast is going to be amazing. I can tell you that right now. I've got so many stories and so many pictures. It's going to be amazing. So I'm really sad. I will get to this chapter, but I'm really sad I didn't get to it beforehand when you're talking about you can't be superwoman. Superwoman is a fictitious character. Mm -hmm. Can you tell me a little bit about that? Because I didn't get to read that and it makes me really Aww. sad because I will. Yeah. Well, yeah. So I'm um, obviously I'm, I'm telling it from a mom's perspective, right? Like, um, but I think it applies to all women in some ways that we are, we are uh, praised pretty heavily for being able to do quote unquote it all, right? Like we, the more that we do, the more tired we are, the better we are is how we've been taught. Like 
and it, and it, it translates to motherhood in that we only feel like people are able to see how good we are at what we do if we are walking around looking frazzled and, and tired and we haven't had a nap in forever and just, you know, we're stressed out and we don't know how to just be proud of ourselves without being exhausted. I'm sorry. No, this is actually, it's perfect because say, it's exactly what we're talking about. I was about to say, anybody who can hear this right now, in case you think I'm making it up, I actually do have two children and they're very loud. Sorry. <laughs> Donna, yeah, so we'll no, you're not sorry. It's okay. That's true. Hashtag sorry, not sorry. Um, but so like, you know, it, it's basically talking about the concept of us feeling like we have to be superwoman, of us feeling like we can never be scared, of us feeling like we can never be tired, that we can never ask for help, that we can never lose, that we're not allowed to ever even like lose a battle. And the fact that Wonder Woman concept, it's, it's fake. It's a it's, it's a comic book idea. It's not the idea of a real woman. And you are a real person. And so you need to be going off of real person metrics. And real person metrics include being unable to do certain things. And that's okay. Let's be real. Wonder Woman had the lasso of truth and, a invis and an invisible jet. And like she also runs around in like, panties basically like I mean we can't you and, and she's never cold like I mean you you have to kind of think about the realism here and and you know my point being like we we you can your kids don't need superheroes your kids do not need superheroes they have plenty of imagination on their own they make up their own superheroes what they need is somebody in their life to show them what being a human being means that's what they need and that's what you're here for and so you know, the problem that we have with that, the disconnect that we have with that idea is the concept that we, we have to be superheroes. And so by trying to be superheroes, we're not actually fulfilling our roles of showing them how to be human. So it's kind of just talking about those things. It's saying, you know, it's okay to be afraid. It's okay to lose battles. It's okay to get tired. It's okay to say no. These are all things that you are allowed to do because you're not. And you're going to screw up. You have a whole chapter about. You're oh, yes. Get over yes. It. <laughs> yes. Because you will screw up. And that's, and some of those screw ups will impress upon your kids. And that's terrifying, but it's also true. So, you know, the best thing that we can do is we have to be adults about that and understand that the best thing that we can do in any time that we screw up, but with our kids as well is recover and move forward. So what do you hope that your like, I'm, do you think that your kids will read this book one day? And what do you, if they do, what do you hope they get from it? It's really funny because somebody brought that up to me too. They were like, are you worried that, you know, your kids might read this someday and their feelings might get hurt. And I was like, I sincerely hope not. Because first off, um, I would be really shocked if they had any interest in reading anything that I wrote when they're like teenagers. I would imagine that if they were going to pick that book up, it would be like after their parents. And by then they'll probably look at it and be like, ah, okay, yeah. I got this mom. But if they were to read it beforehand, um, you know, what I would hope that they get from it is the understanding that love is, is double-edged, that it's not just always having warm, fuzzy feelings, and that they also taught me a lot of lessons. There are a lot of things in there that, you know, I've even mentioned I would not have learned had I not become a parent. Being a parent actually forced me to learn a lot of things that I wouldn't otherwise have bothered to learn. 
So, you know, I hope that they pick that up. I hope that they also pick up that they were pins in my ass sometimes and that, that <laughs> and that, you know, that gave me material and that someday, you know, they will be able to possibly have their own children who will be pins in their asses and then give them material and so on and so forth. And that will be my legacy is us being able to bitch about our children on paper. And I guess that, you know, that's, that's really it. I just want them to get the idea that, I, I don't think that there's any question in their minds right now that I love them and that I adore them. And so I hope that they realize that, you know, mommy loved and adored us even when we annoyed the hell out of her. And that, you know, being a parent is difficult, but that it's not anything to be ashamed of and that it's not all encompassing and that they are human and can have negative and positive feelings and still be great parents. Technically, we're kind of, we're pretty much still in like, quarantine type mm -hmm. mode how has mm -hmm. that how do you feel like that's changed your parenting during this time so I was a really big homebody like you could almost say that I was social distancing before social distancing was cool so it hasn't changed me a lot um it has made me actually more appreciative of the time that I get together with my family and it has made me you know more careful about teaching them certain things like I mean I've always been big on teaching them hygiene but now I'm trying to teach them a little bit more and I'm just trying to make sure that we find ways for them to figure out how to be more independent and more self-sufficient because I can't find things to do for them 24 hours a day seven days a week but otherwise I would say that you know it's pretty much the same my family has always been my favorite place to be. I've always, even when I go out with friends, you know, I enjoy my time with my friends, but I look forward to getting home and seeing my husband and seeing my kids. And so it's been difficult at times, but it has been kind of nice because I do realize that this will be over at some point. And even if my son stays home with me, say for this year, hopefully, fingers crossed, next year this is all over right and then he goes into the second grade my daughter would go into kindergarten and then the next thing I know this whole thing me getting time with my family is over anyway so I've been trying to be a little bit more present and a little bit more focused on my family as much as I possibly can be right now that's not to say that I think that there's anything wrong with needing time away from them because there are times where I'm like I just need you out of my face like now I need you and to stop clutching me <laughs> yeah and I'm like you take these exactly but if I'm not in that mindset um I have been just trying to enjoy as much time as I can with them when they are being enjoyable because I know that I, I can just tell that you know this is a fleeting thing so before I ask you the final two questions um do you have please if you can share your social handles we'll make sure to include those in the show notes as well but share how people can reach you how people can get the book and then any final thoughts that you might have for sure so if you want to follow the Niam project you can actually follow it on all social media under the name the Niam project um, and Niam is n-y-a-m stands for not your average mom 
the Nyam project on Twitter, I will say, is pretty much just me bullshitting all day, but it's probably the most me of all of the social medias too. So um, that one is a lot of fun. And then if you want to keep up with me specifically where I'm speaking, what podcasts I'm on, um, articles I write, things like that, you can go to my website at thearianabradford.com and that's Ariana with two N's or you can look up that same name, the Ariana Bradford on Facebook. Awesome. So before we close, I always like to ask people what can always make you smile no matter how you're feeling? That's a good one. <laughs> you know, I have to say uh, music. Like music has become, uh, has been a really big thing that I've also shared with my kids. My kids have favorite songs and a lot of their favorite songs are songs that are on my playlists because I tend to just play like, you know, music from when I was a kid or, or music that I'm really into now. And it's kind of, my husband and I are both former musicians. So it's music runs very deep through this family. And I want to say that we really no matter how bad we're feeling, we pretty much are able to play music and it seems to perk us right back up. It's a big thing in this family. Yeah, music seems to be a very common theme in regards to that. I think music, mm -hmm. music holds a lot of power, right? It does. it does. And finally, we open with wine and we close with wine. What type of wine do you like? Like red, white, rosé, and do you have a particular kind that is your favorite? I prefer very sweet wines. I'm talking hummingbird sweet. So I really like um, white wines, Rieslings. Actually, I really, with this, what I was drinking tonight was a white Moscato. Um, so things like that. White, I can do rosés, but pretty much on the lighter side of wines because those tend to be sweeter. Awesome. Well, Ariana, thank you so much for taking the time to sit down with me and discuss. I mean, like I said, we kind of just went through the whole <laughs> gamut, right? There was so much more we could have done, but it was, we have limited time, unfortunately, because there could have been so much more. But I really appreciate that you did take the time to come on here. And we'll make sure to, when did your book comes out on July 6th? July 7th and July it'll 7th. be available and it'll be available on Amazon. Awesome. So we will make sure to put that link because when it comes out, I need you to send me the link so I can make of sure course. to put that in the show notes. And you guys, whether you are a parent or you're a tia like me and auntie like me, or even thinking about kids, I am not kidding. You have to get this book or even if you just <laughs> want to laugh and because of how crazy kids are and like the things that your body can go through and that it's okay to like not always like a child you're around even if you're not a mom even if you're a tia like me it's it's okay to not always like your nieces and nephews you will always love them but it's mm -hmm. okay to not like them <laughs> absolutely yes <laughs> thank you Ariana thank you so so much for having me I appreciate it For listening to this episode of the Wine and Cheese podcast. Ariana's book, Shame on You Big Truths from a Bad Mom, is now available via Amazon, and links are provided in the show notes so you can get your read on. Take a photo and make sure to tag at the Nyam Project, that's the N Y A M as in Mary Project, 
and the wine achievement if you purchase a book. Do you have a story that needs to be told or know someone who does? Then please reach out to me. You can now reach out to me on our website, thewineandcheesemitpodcast.com. You can also reach me on Instagram at The Wine and Cheesemit, Facebook, LinkedIn at The Wine and Cheesemit Podcast because I want to hear your story. Remember, if you want to hear more Wine and Cheesemit, please subscribe, rate, and review. Uh, Five-star ratings are always appreciated and those positive reviews are appreciated more. Until next time, mi gente, saludos.